Summerlin. It's Cofield and Company from the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. All right, here we go on a Wednesday. Rampart is the location. Good show on the way. Lots of NFL news. We'll get updates on the Raiders roster as they cut a bunch of guys yesterday with the hope that they could bring a bunch back. So we'll get you an update on that. Uh, Willie Ramirez will be with us in just a little bit. As uh, Willie from the AP was out covering Raiders camp this afternoon, we'll hear from Mike Mayock as well. As he spoke to the media, a little disjointed. I think he had to leave the room for uh, some bit of time. Sounded like it was quick, but uh, got a phone call. So that's coming up in just a little bit. Again, Rampart. Rates and Sportsbook, great location. The place was redesigned last year. Tremendous restaurants. The book itself, awesome bar. There's uh, food adjacent to the sportsbook with the clubhouse deli. And uh, there's a good crowd down here watching baseball in the afternoon. I know I'm on the uh, Astros and Seattle game. That one's in the top of the six. You want to go and play. Right now the uh, Strohs are a minus 150 favorite at the uh, Rampart book. So come on down. we got Thursday night football tomorrow. Uh, no NFL, but it really is week one. Week zero had just a handful of games. Now we got week one in college football with upwards of 15 games on Thursday, including some big ones with Ohio State taking on Minnesota. All right, let's do it. It's Trending at 3, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Now the real big one is in town, right? Uh, UNLV over at the Al, first time with fans. They'll be playing at the Al technically last year. They had a couple tilts where they could let in a couple thousand, but a real number of fans uh, will be here for the opener inside the uh, Al Allegiant Stadium. UNLV's taking on Eastern Washington. We'll have some uh, reaction from last night's Marcus Arroyo radio show a little later uh, in this one, but uh, the opponent's interesting. Number came out today. Uh, there's speculation online that UNLV was going to be a pretty big favorite, and I didn't think that was the case. Uh, turns out UNLV is lane three against Eastern Washington, an FCS team, a top 12 FCS team that, oddly enough, played in the spring. So I don't know if that's a good or bad thing for them. Uh, Eastern Washington coach Aaron Best was actually on our morning show, The Press Box, and talked about playing just a few months ago and uh, motivation against an FBS team. Having Coach Royal being in, the, in the, the head chair for the first time in a pandemic. I mean, I can't imagine what would, that was like for him or anybody that took over a program. Uh, for the first time in the, the setting of last fall. And so it is, uh, it, it's something that doesn't give us extra motivation uh, because if you're a competitor, it doesn't matter who you're playing. Uh, it's a matter how well you play. Eastern Washington made the FCS playoffs a year ago. They went 5-2. and two. Their coach has been around forever, and Marcus Arroyo knows that uh, this is going to be a tough one. They're a very good football team, and they have been for a long time. I think Coach has been there. I think Coach Best has been there 24 years in total. I think he's been the head coach there for – the last five or six, he's got a 68% winning percentage. They've done a lot of good things. I mean, they did a really nice job in their spring season, which is, is an interesting deal to come and still kind of be kind of warm. We've got our hands full. We, we've got a really good football team coming in. We're excited about that, I think, because it gives us a chance to really, really see where we're at um, in, in, in our home stadium with our fans. More discussion on that number a little later in the show and a lot more of the next uh, show in three quarters, we'll call it, as we get you ready for the kickoff. It'll be right here on ESPN Las Vegas tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, with a 6 o'clock pregame before the pregame. We've got a double pregame tomorrow devoting some more time and resources to covering UNLV football as they uh, really try to kick off the new era. Last year was kind of rough with COVID and the disjointed schedule and only getting six games in. Well, uh, those problems are going to exist again in college football where games get moved. Uh, we're seeing that now with Tulane and be, you know, because of the hurricane. Tulane has to go to Norman, Oklahoma to play a game they were expected to play in New Orleans, the same thing in the NFL is now official. 
September 12th game, the opener between the Packers and the Saints, supposed to be at the uh, newly minted Caesars Dome, uh, is now going to be on the road for both teams. I guess the Saints will get all the revenue if they can get some fans to travel across, uh, what is it, the 10, all the way over to Jacksonville. But that's where the game is going to be. Still a one twenty-five start our time, afternoon. So the Packers and the Saints, the Packers, of course, will get to see Aaron Rodgers for the first time uh, throwing a football because he didn't play in the preseason. And they'll be down one of their good tackles in Bakhtiari. But before that, the Saints still can't really go back to New Orleans, so it's still Road Warrior time, not only with the opener, but they're going to be practicing in Fort Worth at TCU ahead of the game against the Packers. Uh, Big news around the National Football League, and we'll hit this in more depth in just a couple minutes with our legal insider, Justin Watkins. I don't know if lawsuits will be filed. We'll see. And what I'm talking about are... Guys like Cam Newton, who was cut by the Patriots. Belichick was smart in not saying specifically that Cam may have been cut because he's unvaxxed. Urban Meyer went a little further and said, yeah, it was a factor. And, of course, the NFLPA is flipping out out front because that's what they need to do because they're supposed to be protecting the interest of all players, unvaxxed and vaxxed. Is Urban Meyer going to get in trouble? Maybe. I don't know if that means there's a fine. I don't know if it's just some public admonishment. I don't know if he has to apologize. Um, I would assume some players who were dumped, who are unvaccinated, who don't latch on any team, may go after Urban Meyer. But here's the thing, and the Jaguars, if they want to be in the league, it sucks. I mean, I guess Well, I'd probably want to land on another team before I would be going after any sort of exercising any sort of legal recourse against the Jaguars or Urban Meyer. So that'll be something interesting to follow. But we'll find out from Justin Watkins in about 15 minutes uh, if these players who were cut and happen to be unvaccinated have a case against Meyer and the Jaguars. Uh, speaking of that, back from his bout with COVID after uh, nearly two weeks away, Titans actually get their coach back. So Mike Vrabel is back. We're going to talk some Titans football as we've been doing a, a daily preview going from number 32 to number th- uh, number one. Around the NFL, we did our power rankings, our Cofield and Company power rankings, so we're going to preview the Titans around 4 o'clock. On that vaccine with uh, Belichick, it was kind of interesting. I don't, you know, Belichick doesn't really delve into very much. He, I don't think he wants to be bothered with it and doesn't want follow-up questions and doesn't want an issue to turn into something that's going to last more than that day. But for some reason, uh, when the media was asking him today about Cam Newton and his act situation, if that was the reason why, The Pats got rid of him. Belichick said, quote, your implication that vaccination solves every problem has not been substantiated. Uh Uh-oh. So you're going to go down this path? Whether you agree with him or not, it's kind of needless, I guess, if he wants to plant a flag uh, and give his opinion on this. He said, uh, yeah, vaccination uh, doesn't solve every problem. That has not been substantiated. The number of players and coaches and staff members who have been infected with COVID after being vaccinated is a pretty high number. I wouldn't lose sight of that. And by the numbers, he's actually inaccurate but uh we'll see now he's gonna have to answer more questions on that i guess he'll just grumble back in return uh mr grumpy right uh mr happy here in town this one just came out this morning before we get to some of the raiders moves today adding players to the practice squad some of the images of mark davis's new mansion remember he was going to build out i think in the summit in summerlin he sold out of that and decided to build something closer to the facility in Henderson, and we'll tweet out a picture of this. I mean, if there's a house that looks like the Raiders' owner's house, it's this one. 
<laughs> it does look like the Death Star. Right now, the value is listed at $14 million for Mark Davis's new house. Remember, this was a cash-poor franchise when they were in Oakland. Wasn't a pauper, but, you know, he was a value player. Flew southwest, drove the uh, 18-year-old minivan. Uh, did spend a little money on the haircut. But this house is supposed to be 15,000 square feet, including a 54, 22-square-foot garage. So it has the look of the Raiders owner. Take my word on it. All right, so here's back. Uh, here's who back. Let me speak. Let me. Here's who back with the Raiders. Very excited that they got both of their running backs who were uh, big players in, big producers in the preseason. They got them back and Trey Regis and B.J. Emmons. Uh, Lester Cotton, I know a lot of people are high on him. He's back on the practice squad. And Dylan Stoner is back. John Brown will move on, but Dylan Stoner is back. So they took a little risk. As you know, they had a bunch of players who are candidates for IR. They put about four or five of them on the active roster because they didn't want to put them on IR yesterday. That would mean they're out for the year. They put them on IR from here forward. It could be limited, and they can also bring them back. So those are some of the guys who are back. Trey Regis, B.J. Ammons, Lester Cotton, Dylan Stoner. They're all back in the fold. The former BYU tight end, Matt Bushman, also in the fold. All right, coming up in just a couple, we're going to talk to Justin Watkins about the legal issues around the VAC stuff, the cuts, and the National Football League. But you got to come on down here to Rampart. they got two great contests to enter. They've got the Million Dollar Pro Football Frenzy free weekly contest. Uh, if you get in that, you have a chance to win $1 million, and uh, they're going to track 225 regular season picks. They also have the weekly Beat the Bookie. All you got to do is make one free pick to beat the bookie. All players beating the bookie. And I think we're going to talk to uh, the bookie, Dwayne Colucci, in about an hour and 45 minutes or so. But, Anyone who beats the bookie gets their share of $2,000 in free slot play that week or free bets. So this is the spot to come down to today here on a Wednesday. It's the Rampart Racing Sportsbook. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 3. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts only on Cofield and Company. Rolling on at the uh, Rampart Sportsbook. Every Wednesday we get a chance to talk to uh, Justin Watkins, legal side of things, sports and otherwise, and also a little fantasy football, a little NHL. So I want to get to some fantasy football here in a couple of minutes, but uh, I do want your reaction, Justin, to the big news yesterday. Cam Newton is cut. What do you think of the Patriots now? I mean, I, I don't think that they're much for contenders, but, uh, you know, I, if I was a Patriots fan, I think I would like this move, get Matt Jones some uh, game reps. I, I, don't think, I don't think Cam was going to do anything that was going to make this season all that much different for them, so you might as well get the young kids some um, experience. Uh, but the first thing that's funny that uh, – First thing that came to mind to me when he was cut was, hmm, that seems to be COVID related. <laughs> right. And, and Belichick has declined that. And, but then shortly after that, you had Urban Meyer being a little bit uh, transparent on that issue. And I, I thought that I think the two or two stories are sort of tied. Absolutely. Uh, so Belichick was smart enough to make sure that he danced around the NFLPA. Urban Meyer, you know, doesn't really know the ways yet of the NFL. Uh, I think a lot of people appreciated his honesty, and a lot of people are with him on this. Uh, if you're a backup and you're not vaccinated and you could potentially take down parts of the team and you're not available, availability is the biggest thing. So from a legal standpoint, 
Is Urban Meyer in trouble? Could a, a player who's cut actually sue Urban Meyer directly? Does he go after the NFL, go after the Jaguars? What happens here? Yeah, no, this would be a grievance process between the NFLPA and and the team. Uh, if they thought that he was cut due or one of the players was cut due to his vaccination status. But I think there's tons of wiggle room in what Urban Meyer said. Um, he said, does he consider it? Yes. Well, the agreement between the NFLPA and the, and the NFL did not say that they couldn't consider it. It said that somebody couldn't be cut. A roster decision could not be based solely on the vaccination status of a player. So, one of the categories that the parties have agreed that can be considered is general availability of a player. And how can we just ignore or act like that that's not going to be a consideration, the vaccination status of somebody as to whether a coach believes them to be more or less available? So I, while I think it wasn't the wisest thing from a PR standpoint to say, because you don't need the NFLPA to be, you know, quote unquote, open their investigation into this. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to turn into anything. I think that, you know, what, you could simply turn right back on the NFLPA and say, why were you encouraging your members to get vaccinated? You're encouraging them to get vaccinated for their own health and well-being. And because ultimately, at the end of the day, it makes it more likely that the season's going to happen because the players are going to be more available. If they're not vaccinated, it, it, logic follows that it's less likely that they're going to be available to play. And the reason Meyer couldn't outright uh, say, hey, he got cut because he's not vaxxed, there, like, say, there's a difference between uh, MGM Resorts in town saying, hey, our full-time employees by this date have to be vaccinated or they got to move on. They're gone, um, as opposed to a, a situation like the NFL where things are collectively bargained, right? Right. Well, I mean, there, these, these issues were not collectively bargained prior to the pandemic, but there was an agreement between the NFLPA that was ratified uh, and the NFL that basically said, here's our return to play protocol. It agreed upon how there's going to be testing, what the vaccination is going to be like, when when teams hit a certain threshold, what the relaxed standards are like. All those things have been agreed upon. One of those things was you can't cut somebody because they're not vaccinated. Um, but to me, that means you can't cut somebody solely because they're not vaccinated. But to say that it can't be a factor, you, even if you had put that in there, it's unrealistic by the way fantasy football i think i was accurate on this uh, league that we did over the weekend and justin's a big fantasy football player justin Watkins with us battleborn injury alerts five seven oh nine thousand uh no one had any interest in cam newton how did you think your team turned out uh, i did about how i wanted to do um uh, you know this year uh, you know my strategy has been for for many years pay the most to get the best receivers I possibly can every year. But this year I had a different uh, tact. I wanted a star running back and I wanted, I had wanted one of the big three tight ends. I didn't care so much about getting a number one, um, you know, one of the top five receivers in the league because receiver depth has just gotten so good that you can go so late and ha have too much of a drop off between the number, the number one and number 20 receiver there's way less drop-off there than between the number one and number 20 running back. Yeah. And certainly between the number one and number 10 tight end, for sure. So I'm just trying to mitigate that drop-off. So I went that way. I paid a little bit more for Justin Herbert than I wanted to, thanks to you. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but then I ended up with Jalen Hurts as my backup. So I, I like that. 
Yeah. You uh, you were in the mix for the three tight ends. I don't know if you bid on the other ones, but you got George Kittle. He was the cheapest. But And we play auction league, folks. We talk about auction fantasy football all the time. Uh, Adam Hill and I locked horns on Darren Waller, and uh, he went for more than Kittle. And then he flipped out, uh, accusing me of just trying to bid him up. And it's like, no, I wanted one of the three tight ends. I couldn't get Kelsey. I didn't get Kittle. And I didn't realize that one other person was going to go crazy on Darren Waller. But, you know, I'll take him. Oh, I, I'm glad I got Kittle because if I had not gotten Kittle, the three of us, I would have gone as high as I had to go yeah. to get Waller. I would have, I would have, I would have gone, I would have gone into the 80s or 90s on him. I would have because like, I, I did not want to be on the outside looking in on those three. What was your uh, approach on Austin Eckler? Because you and I again locked horns on that one and beat each other up for <laughs> for a while. Yeah, I didn't have to have him. I liked him. Uh, did you? you know. Did you? Th- at that, was there a certain point you're like, uh, I'm just going to keep bidding up Cofield, so make him spend? Yeah. Okay. hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and every player, I, I, every player up until the late part that I I uh, nominated for auction was not somebody I wanted. I just needed everybody else to spend so that when I a player I wanted came on the board. They didn't have as much money, so I was just throwing out names to try to get people to spend. I like that. I, uh, I tried to do that with Derek Carr. No one bit, so I got Derek Carr for a dollar as my backup. <laughs> I also, yeah. my strategy in uh, this auction league was I'm not letting any running backs remain towards the end of the draft for no money, so I threw them out. I threw out uh, whatever, running backs 12 to 20 early, um, and then I actually wound yep. up getting a couple of them probably for too much money, but it's always interesting with the the auction approach. Uh, more stories legally around the NFL. Uh, we were just talking about the Chargers and Eckler and Herbert. Uh, there's quite a fight going on with uh, Dean Spanos and I guess his sister. Uh, she's arguing that uh, she wants Spanos to sell the team, and uh, there's been an update in that story. So what's happening here? Yeah, so, I mean, Dean Spanos doesn't technically own the Chargers. The trust owns the Chargers. Him and his siblings own the Chargers through their trust. And Dean uh, is the... Through the appointment of the trustees, the controlling owner uh, makes the decisions. uh, And his sister, though, is a co-trustee of the trust. And she filed in court basically saying, hey, we need the court's protection as a co-trustee from our other trustee, Dean Spanos, because he's taking on piles of debt in the name of the family and the family trust on behalf of the chargers. And... It is an appropriate time to sell because the valuation is super high um, and we can't meet our bills and our obligations if we continue down this track. Dean Spanos has not been able to live up to his promises of, you know, sort of finding a buyer and and investment. um, And and we can't pay the charitable obligations we've made. We've, as a family, made $22 million in obligations to charities. And Dean Spanos just pushed those off year after year after year, and it's over. We need to sell. Um, to which Dean and the other siblings all agreed, we're keeping the Chargers. We're not selling them. We'll buy her out if she wants out so bad. Um, but this is going to be a fight in court because ultimately, at the end of the day, trustees own a fiduciary, uh, fiduciary duties to each other. They have to do what's in the best interest of the trust above their own best interests. And so if there's an allegation that somebody, one of the trustees is not doing what's in the best interest of the trust as a whole and to their fellow trustees, and they're putting their own interests in front of that, a court can step in. Justin Watkins on uh, Cofield & Company here as we're live at 
the Rampart. Another NFL story in court, and this one's been going on a while. This goes back to the uh, Rams move from St. Louis to L.A. I love this headline, and you can give us the minutia of the case. Uh, Judge uses NFL reason for leaving St. Louis to justify not moving Rams relocation litigation. Explain this one. Yeah, so you can file a motion in any court to change the venue where the case is heard. And what that ultimately means is that a different judge uh, will hear the case and there'll be a different jury pool. The, the substantive law, the controlling law, will be the same. So let's say they moved out of St. Louis and moved it to Las Vegas. They would not apply Nevada law. Uh, the same substantive law that was being applied, presumably Missouri law, would apply to the dispute, but they would find jurors in Las Vegas and a judge in Las Vegas could hear the case or actually the originating judge still could, although that's ultra, ultra rare. Uh, So what they said is a basis to move venue is the jury pool is biased here and I cannot get a fair trial. So they filed the motion to move from St. Louis saying, basically, everybody in St. Louis hates us. They're all Rams fans. They're going to be biased. We don't get a fair shake because now they hate the fact that they're the L.A. Rams. And the judge said, wait, 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 wait. You moved the team from St. Louis on your own admission because you didn't have enough interest in your team here. Nobody cared which is exactly what you want in a jury pool. You want the jury to not care about the dispute one way or the other. That means they're unbiased. So by your own admission, you have a fair jury pool here. We're not moving this. Yeah. I expect that the Rams will appeal that decision, but I think the, set, the, the, the evidence out there is actually on the side of the judge that despite the sports bubble we put ourselves in, most people that live in these major cities don't care. Uh, and you could find tons of jurors that didn't even know the team left or they even had a team in the first place. Next move by the Rams would be what? Try to get rid of this judge? No, no, no. You're not going to get the judge kicked out on this. You can appeal the decision, though. So they, they will. So they're not going to ask for the judge to recuse himself? No. No basis. Interesting. All right, quick I mean, timeout. Having a, having a judge – and the only way you could be able to get that is if, if if the judge was like a season ticket holder to St. Louis and, you uh, know, was on the picket line. Justin Watkins sticks around. 570-9000 is the number at Battleborn Injury Lawyers on the way back. Uh, we've got ESPN potentially in hot water. They uh, just moved on from Rachel Nichols. You remember all that controversy going back to her comments about race and promotions. And uh, Rachel's out, but she may get a big windfall here by suing ESPN. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. Company. Bring the law. Bring the law. Bring the law. Rampart Sportsbook on a Wednesday. We're... Continuing our conversation with Justin Watkins from Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Let's get into this Rachel Nichols situation. The NBA reporter anchor is out at ESPN, and this all stems from a taped conversation. And we've got consent issues here. She may have a real case. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think we said this at the very beginning that ESPN is going to find itself in a little bit of hot water here. Not even not even making violating the privacy by making it public or leaking it out, which it all did through ESPN channels, had to. 
Um, it's the very fact of recording two individuals without the consent of either. And that's what happened. They recorded a conversation in which neither of the participants of the conversation was aware that it was being recorded. And that alone, regardless of intent, is a violation of law. Uh, and then, obviously, to take it to the next level and leak out that information to do damage to persons, to a person's reputation is the damages you need to associate it with what that violation did to somebody. She absolutely has a case. I don't see it would be hard to find a way to say that she doesn't have a case. So let's look at it from both sides. If you're an attorney uh, dealing with ESPN, what's the discussion on moving on from Rachel Nichols? Do you just say, hey, you know, let's cut our losses. We are probably going to have to pay her. But from a PR standpoint, maybe that's more damaging, more costly to keep her around. Yeah, I mean, in theory, you would have to pay her no matter what. Even if she stayed on, she still had a claim against you. So, I mean, that wasn't really going to go away. The only way you maybe uh, get around that is to raise her profile, which arguably hurts you more from a business standpoint. So, I mean, I think clearly this was a business decision, not a legal decision. Um, And who knows? Maybe they are already in some preliminary talks on resolution of this. Uh, and, and maybe that's part of the whole deal. You never know what kind of conversations are going on between the lawyers on the backside. If you're on the Rachel Nichols side, like how vindictive would you get here? Would you go after ESPN, but then start naming individuals who may have been involved in the process of the taping and the leaking? No, less, less, less vindictive. Um, you know, I want to maximize my recovery. I want, I want to get the most dollars possible. More vindictive equals less money, less vindictive. You want to be wearing the white. If this ever goes to trial, it won't. But if it ever went to trial, you want to be wearing the white hat, not the black hat. Justin Watkins, 5709000 Battle Warren Injury Lawyers is with us. All right, very interesting case out of the state of Arizona when it comes to sports betting. Some states have just moved quickly through the process. Arizona's having some difficulty here, Justin, uh, with uh, Native Americans uh, claiming that a 2002 vote uh, has something to do with the Constitution, gives them exclusivity on gambling licenses. Yeah, so in Arizona in 2002, they passed a ballot initiative, that's a vote of the people, to amend the constitution of the state of Arizona to give tribal casinos the exclusive right for gaming in the state, including sports betting. Uh, So what the tribal authorities are saying is, hey, this is unconstitutional. If you legalize sports betting in the state of Arizona, we've got a problem. Shut it all down. Now. A big caveat to that amendment to the Constitution said that the parties understand that if there are changes to laws that are outside the control of the state of Arizona, that Arizona may in the future license non-tribal entities to allow gaming. Clearly that happened, right? I mean, the Supreme Court of the United States came in and said all the anti-gaming laws out there are unconstitutional. Go for it. So there was a change to the laws that applied to the state of Arizona that had nothing to do with the state of Arizona changing its laws itself. I think the caveat applies. I don't think the tribal casinos are going to be victorious here. Right. They're going to get licenses. I mean, it looks like they're going to split the licenses between, uh, oddly, the state's professional sports teams and ten to uh, Native American tribes. So they're still in it, but they don't have exclusivity. Yeah, it's a it's a play to get a bigger portion of that. Right. It's it's. They're just making a play by the ones who are excluded out of the, out of the 10 to try to get it expanded to be more. I think they know they're going to lose. Justin Watkins with us. He's our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider, 5709000.
is the number. All right, a couple of non-sports stories. That, you know, then these catch my attention. I don't think we need to sit here and give a stance on abortion or what's going on in Texas as they get more restrictive. But when I was reading uh, some of the tweets from the ACLU, something caught my attention. Uh, it says here, uh, private individuals, including anti-abortion activists with no connection to patients, can now sue anyone who they believe is providing abortions or assisting someone in accessing abortion after six weeks. Healthcare workers, clergy, rideshare drivers. What? Yeah, this is an interesting aspect of the the new law that's out there that basically gives a private right of action to anybody that they see or they witness um, breaking the laws associated with the new abortion laws there, which is any termination after six weeks. Um, this is ultra rare, but private right, rights of action do exist. Usually you see them in a whistleblower context that uh, a whistleblower can be financially compensated for bringing the case on behalf of violations of federal or state law. Um, in this instance, they provide for a recovery of up to and, and it can exceed $10,000. So if you know, a rideshare driver brings a person to an abortion clinic who performs an abortion that's beyond the six weeks, you can sue the clinic. You could sue the rideshare driver, you could sue the individual, and you may recover up to ten thousand dollars. I, I, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how often you see that take place. I don't know that ten thousand dollars is incentive enough right. to get a lot of these cases brought because ultimately you're going to want an attorney, and I don't know that that's going to get most attorneys willing to do this, um, especially for you know the mechanism, how that mechanism payment would do. Is the $10,000 due from the offender? If so, you know, good luck. How uh, how technical is this or how deep does it go? Say, uh, you know, me, 51-year-old, uh, calls rideshare and I want to go get some information at Planned Parenthood. If the rideshare driver, no, no. If the rideshare driver turns me down, can I then sue the rideshare driver? Rideshare driver's like, I can't take you. Can I then sue, you know, somehow sue the rideshare driver? No. Some sort of discrimination. Right? I mean, yeah, uh, you know. I mean, I I'm not uh, saying I want to do this, but it's just like you—you right. you know the way people start thinking. It's like, hey, lawsuit, lawsuit, lawsuit. Right. Yeah. No, I, I don't think you have any claim against the rideshare company or the rideshare driver. I mean, if the rideshare company wants to take a stance and make a policy that we're not going to take anybody to any abortion clinic, whether or not it's legal or any legal abortion, we're just going to stay out of this. They're a private company; they have the right to do that. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, tragic story. Uh, you know, I mentioned my home state, New Jersey. I was actually hanging out on the Jersey Shore, actually in the uh, area of the uh, Jersey Shore MTV show, Seaside. Uh, this one's terrible. A lifeguard was killed earlier this week when lightning struck the lifeguard tower. Uh, crazy enough, uh, it hits the tower. The 19-year-old gets zapped badly. He passes away. I guess it also somehow spread. It also injured six other people. What do we have here? Because it looks like the city may have just switched from wooden lifeguard towers to towers that appear to be, uh, you know, very much metal in, in terms of how they're built. Yeah. So what would that look like on, on a lawsuit? You would want to see what went into that decision making process, whether or not that was a known danger associated with it. I mean, metal. Yeah. Metal attracts lightning. What went into the decision to actually have lifeguards and people out there during a lightning you know, a lightning event anyway. 
Um, so yeah, there's a lot of questions that you would want answered in a lot of different directions that this investigation could go. Uh, but ultimately it may be on the city. It could be on the manufacturer of the lifeguard tower. Maybe they had made representations that that wasn't possible. It could be on whoever is managing the area. If that's somebody different than the city, if they made the decision to allow people out there when there is lightning in the area, all those are possibilities and, and you have to follow the evidence where it takes you. What does a verbal warning mean in this case? Cause I can tell you, uh, we were hanging out on the boardwalk when there was a lightning storm and someone came on loudspeakers and was like, get off the beach right now. Get off the boardwalk right now. Lightning is coming. Would that be entered into a case like, hey, we I mean, it's, this is vicious. You had a poor kid pass away. But, you know, hey, they didn't listen to our warning. Yeah, totally. That's relevant, too. Yeah. You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, if they are on a public beach, that they have the you know the right to be on, and you make a warning uh, to them, and they choose to stay. Your duty is to make your duty is to warn them of any of any known dangers out there. It, it's impractical. It's unrealistic at that moment to ask them to get the law enforcement there and get everybody rounded up and kicked off the beach without endangering more people. So I, I think. If their warning was given and there was no known risk associated with no bad decisions made with the lifeguard tower itself, then then they're going to be free and clear here. But, I mean, putting metal lifeguard towers instead of wooden lifeguard towers seems to be a pretty big uh, risk. Justin, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks. There he is, Justin Watkins, Battleborn Injury Alerts. We turn the page, get to a little sports gambling, a little NHL. Brian Blessing from Sports Grade Radio is on the way. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. Hey, Vegas fan. Uh, it's Margie here. Uh, just uh, wishing everybody a good uh, end of the summer, and uh, can't wait to get back at the, the Fortress and uh, get the ball rolling. See you guys. Coalfield & Company is live at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. Yeah, Marshall So talking about returning soon. We'll get into a little hockey. Some more of the totals were posted. Willie Ramirez is down here at the Rampart Racing Sportsbook. He was covering the Raiders all day, so we'll get into some of the details about guys who were uh, dumped yesterday, brought back today. That was kind of the plan. Brian Blessing is in to talk a little football gambling, some NHL. Brian, how you doing, buddy? So when you're, like, over in the sportsbook, I, you're playing the ponies? I don't play the ponies, but I did play some, uh, some day baseball. All right, there you go. Yeah, you got to keep yourself, you know, multitask. I have to be engaged all the time. <laughs> Very short attention well span. So I'm, I'm, my head's, my mind's bouncing all over the place. Uh, which brings us to the story of the last couple of days, and that is the Patriots move. You know, it's one thing to cut Cam Newton. I checked out to not give Cam Newton the uh, the gig, but then to cut him too was kind of crazy. What do you? How do you look at the Patriots now for the season? We certainly can't bet them to win the Super Bowl or even make the Super Bowl, right, with a rookie quarterback. I would think not, although what I saw with Cam Newton, I'm kind of sad he's gone because they were a money-making machine. If they had the lead at halftime, you played them. But if they were behind, just fade them because once they became one-dimensional, forcing him to throw, it wasn't going to work. It'll be interesting to see. The crazy thing about the division, you know, Josh Allen's father time, he's 25. He's the oldest quarterback in the division. Well, and 
you know, when you talk about betting the Patriots or not betting the Patriots to win the Super Bowl, I don't, I don't necessarily think when you're talking about the AFC, it's not a matter of that you don't bet the Patriots because they're, they now have a rookie quarterback leading the offense. First of all, the very first thing you have to think of is who's beating the Chiefs. So I, I don't think that anybody, you know, Buffalo might be their, their biggest threat, but I think Kansas City's still the favorite. So obviously it's the first thought is not just a rookie quarterback, but can that team beat the Chiefs? And I don't think right now going into the season that there is a team that can, that can beat Kansas City, which especially is coming in with the chip on its shoulder after losing the Super Bowl. I would, I'm not saying tread lightly, Willie, on Kansas City, but Super Bowl losers – do at times kind of struggle a bit. And with injuries, you know, I mean, on paper, I mean, we know the Chiefs are awesome. I think the, the Bills are probably their main danger, but uh, losing Dobbins hurts. But I think Baltimore could be moderately scary. I'm a little leery of Cleveland regressing a little bit. Um, but I, I think the AFC North is going to be an interesting division. The team I'm, you know, I just think they're built for the postseason if they get there and they're healthy at the right time is Tennessee with that running game. Yeah, back to uh, the Patriots and the division. Uh, at this point, to me, Bills 155 is a freaking steal. I just I, like I like the Dolphins to be a little better, but I just I don't I don't believe in what the Patriots just did. So are you nervous as a Bills fan that, uh, you know, the Bills should be a runaway favorite in this division? Oh, I think there should be an investigation if they don't win the division. I mean, I, th- I think the Jets are I'm looking forward. I really believe this, Steve. I, Wilson was the quarterback I was the most excited to see coming out of college. I, I think in time he's going to be really good. I'm real, I just don't see it with Tua. I just don't see him stretching the field in the NFL. And the Patriots defensively should be better. A lot of the guys that opted out are back. And we got to give the Jones kid the benefit of the doubt. Let's see what he brings to the table. If he pre- the big thing with rookie quarterbacks is, is don't try to do too much and lose games. I mean, you want a guy to be a franchise quarterback, be more than a game manager, but as a rookie on that team uh, with the coach on the sidelines, his job is to not lose games. And if he can keep them hanging around, I mean, you know, I would never discount anything Belichick's throwing out there. Can you imagine, you bring up Miami and Tua, can you imagine the mentor Cam Newton might make on opening night? Cam Newton in a Miami uniform in New England or Sunday, September 12th. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, yeah you, you sign him just to get the game plan, and then in, in week two you trade him to Dallas, you know, after the Will, er- <laughs> Will Greer era begins. Uh, Ryan Blessings with the Sports Grid Radio. If you listen today, you know Mark Lawrence was on. Uh, yesterday at Bruce Marshall in for some college football. Let's talk a little college football. San Jose State, live dog at 14. Uh, you know, they killed Southern Utah last week. USC minus 14, 14 and a half. I think the one thing, they had a great season last year. They came out, yes, they're playing an inferior opponent, but the offense looked good. And I would say having a game under their belt should be worth something in relation to the wagering line. And things can get pretty sketchy on a game-by-game basis with the guy wearing a headset to USC. Yeah, I think San Jose State is live. I agree. I agree for the fact that USC's had to replace a few starters on defense. And I don't think that the Spartans showed their entire hand last week because I don't think that they had to. 
And right. when you have an offense like that, the way that it performed with Starkle, I mean that that was a that was a fun team to cover last year in the Mountain West Championship. And so, um, yeah, I think they're a live dog, and I think that they're going to come to play with something to prove. There you go. All right, Brian, let's move on to a couple more games. Brian Blessing is uh, with us. All right, Carolina, Virginia Tech, Bowling Green, Tennessee. Give me your favorite. I like the over in the North Carolina game. Uh, you got a good quarterback. You know, Mac Brown got himself a pretty solid quarterback strutting in there and Sam Howell. And Virginia Tech, Fuentes is on the biggest hot seat maybe in college football. But I think recruiting-wise, they did pretty well. And, oh, by the way, they played last year in week three, and the score was 56-45. So I'll play the over. All right. Bowling Green, Tennessee. Uh, I don't know how bad Bowling Green is, but the number looks too big on the Tennessee side to me. Um, and I'm not really sure if their new quarterback, Joe Milton, from Michigan is you know ready to go full bore. Well, you're making me feel better about what I like. I like right. the under 61 in that game. Bowling Green is atrocious. Their red zone offense has been a travesty in recent years, and Tennessee's been a soap opera. And if you think the quarterback in Tennessee is going to need a little transition time, I think they put the Sasquatch foot on them. I'm, I'm staying away from the side, but I don't, I don't see Bowling Green scoring much in this game, and I'm I don't with, see Tennessee you know, scoring 50. So I kind of like the under. I'm with you on the under. Tennessee finished 102nd in total offense last year. Bowling Green finished 111th in total offense. And, I mean, the, the only bright spot on either – teams of the four units two offenses two defenses was Tennessee's defense was somewhat okay coming out of the SEC ranked 65th overall so if there's any positive thing to look at from either team it's going to be probably an improved defense on Tennessee so I'm with you on the under I've heard yeah, oh, the, the, yeah, other, Brian. the other thing you could get with a game like that sorry Steve that is if Bowling Green's got the worst red zone offense in the country so, and if you're down 35 nothing, what good's a field goal? So they'll probably go for it, but they don't know what an end zone looks like. I've heard a lot of people on Minnesota looking at Ohio State, new quarterback, you know, on the road. I am not sure that I'm buying that Minnesota can keep up in this game. One, I believe that P.J. Fleck is a buffoon. Uh, last year didn't go well, one, because of a lot of COVID issues, but I just I don't think Fleck is a, a big-time coach. What do you think of this game? Uh, see, I mean, I'm not. it's not like one of my – greatest thoughts of the week, but I think Fleck did have a very good recruiting class. And Ohio State's going to be really good. I don't know that it's like a great Ohio State team. And the the one thing I'd say maybe the biggest reason for Minnesota is they're catching them early. And that might be one of the difference makers to let them hang around. I'm with you that, you know, Flex got to get things rolling. He did get things going on the recruiting wars. Whether that's good enough with what they did in camp remains to be seen. I, I'd lean to the points, but I'm not doing a cartwheel about it. I think Ohio State will probably, with their depth and speed and agility, they always have the athletes. Um, you mentioned getting Minnesota early on. I think they're going to be a little more focused rather than overlooking a non-conference opponent. And I think that they may play a little conservative to start and just feel things out with some newcomers, new faces, but I think in the long run, they sort of pull away, possibly get a defensive touchdown and, and, you know, late cover, if anything. 
Last one. Who's got the stones, Brian, to actually play against Alabama in an opener? Bama's now 19-and-a-half against Miami, Florida. <laughs> well, same, same argument if you're thinking taking the points is you're getting them early that maybe that maybe that's a good thing. Uh, the Derrick King kid, if the knee's good to go, is a pretty solid talent. Didn't pan out at Houston, but uh, you know Bruce Marshall did talk about they claim he's good to go. He was at ACC Media Days. They said no limitations on Derrick King. But, you know, it is Alabama. But that's a, that's a big number out of the gate. Oh, yeah. All right, Brian, we appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. All right. In the second hour, is that when you uh, start autographing blank checks? Yes, absolutely. I'm giving away okay. money. Nice. All my winnings. See you later. Next time we're here, Brian's got to come out and play the horses with us. Uh, Willie Ramirez is here. It's Cofield. Thanks for Brian Blessing. Sports Grid, a radio that's Sirius XM 204. You can also hear him locally on K-Shop. Yeah, I'm telling you, on Fleck, that thing's going to run out soon. Um, all the row, the row the boat crap and his energy and his stupid sweater that he wears. Uh, last year you saw it come unraveled. And his recruiting class this year, uh, right now he's 11th in the uh, with all those resources in the Big Ten. So, People aren't buying it. The gimmick works early on, all that high energy. I'm a young guy, you know, put on my Letterman sweater. But after a while, it's like if you don't win games, you know, you're not going to draw dudes. All right, 4 o'clock hours on the way. We're going to preview the Tennessee Titans who, uh, by the way, that was one of the sort of uh, under-the-radar stories when it came to the vaccination and COVID stuff. Their coach is just coming back. Mike Vrabel was out basically the last two weeks. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas.